Good afternoon, everyone. It is Office Hours with David Meltzer and David Marino. It's the double DM. Just DM us at David Marino Esquire. <laughs> and we have another D. It must be a popular day. Uh, here we go. The CMO of Cycle Bar, Row House, and Exponential Fitness. Don Weiss, welcome to Office Hours. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me here. You wow. added an extra job to my resume. It's just Cycle Bar and Row House. Don't give me more work. <laughs> oh, nice. The, the exponential fit. These are my new notes, too. So Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Well, I probably you. wrote some notes for you. I messed well, them up. <laughs> we, we won't send you the check for exponential fitness. We'll only pay you for Cycle Bar and Row House. Wait, wait. I take it back then. <laughs> yeah. You know, talk about the right place at the right time. You know, obviously, very successful business. But, you know, even in my own personal life, uh, I've created more with cycling than I ever thought I, I would be doing. And it's just grown in every aspect uh, because of the pandemic, uh, yeah. because of the health and, and focus we have on health and the convenience of how we can be healthy every day. Um, for you, before the pandemic, what was the vision or the branding that you were looking at as CMO of Cycle Bar and Row House? You know, where where was that focused? And then how did it shift when obviously the whole world changed? So, yeah, so that's a great question. So I actually joined during the pandemic, which which made it a little. Made it a little <laughs> <What's that? laughs> like, what are these two guys doing? <laughs> I love it. So yeah, I, I joined during the pandemic um, and initially the, the path was always for us to be in studio fitness. We're a franchise system. Um, Exponential is the parent company. We've got nine brands spanning every modality you can think of in the fitness space. And so the, pl the path was drive consumption to the studios, right? Bring business to our franchise studios and make it community-based premium studio fitness across all of our brands. And I think that right before the pandemic, Exponential created an online component, our video on demand, and Cycle Bar Go was part of that, um, as well as all of the brands had a Go component. And so they just released it as soon as they could. I believe that it released, released early in March, um, just after, after the pandemic right, became sort of an indication that there were going to be more closures and things were not going to look like we were reopening right away. So it just really accelerated that, which I think was really smart. And now it's an opportunity to really take a closer look at it and see how the pandemic has changed the way people work out, right? How we consume fitness and all the different modalities and being at home. Um, so I think that we're right in that sweet spot now. We've kind of hit our stride. Okay. Dawn, that, that, that's true. Sorry, Dave, let me cut you off. I just said no doubt. I'm just giving gratuitous comments to our friend Don. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take him. I told him we were kind. We're not like going to Ramsey on here. You know, make sure we'll be kind to him. Uh, you guys are in a great space, like Dave said. Obviously, fitness in the in the post-pandemic world, a lot of people, you know, turned inward to look at themselves and figure out how to make use yeah. of time. And some of the, the greatest entrepreneurs do things that, are big and bold. And obviously in your space, in the cycle space, one thing that many big, big people are pushing is Peloton, right? It's something you do at home. It's pandemic friendly. I mean, my law firm has this, you know, this, this uh, group where everybody keeps score and there's all this, this pressure on it. So where do you see, how do you see 
that affecting your business? And what's your marketing strategy to get people back into the studios? Because you guys do have the largest indoor cycling studios, I believe, largest indoor cycling franchise in the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's a great question. You know, during the pandemic, when I when I told people I was going to go into fitness, I said I thought that fitness franchising would come back last, but it would come back the strongest. People weren't in control of their lives. We weren't in control of our political decisions at that moment. Nobody really knew what to believe, right? There was um, racial unrest. There was divide culturally. Communities were divided. And when we sheltered at home, we took into control our what, whatever we could control, right? What could we control? And that was our own health and our own well-being. So I think people really rode into, you know, pun intended, fitness um, pretty hard, right? As a way to look inward, yeah, and and control what they could control. And I think that that's really served us well. So as those people have gone to, let's say, you know, any of the indoor cycling um, in their home, it's given people, it's given us a greater audience, right? A greater opportunity to connect with people. All of those fitness brands recognize, the in-home fitness segment recognizes the need to bring people together. They have hashtag strategies. You guys are competing. By the way, David, I'm going to have to get you guys all on Exponential Goes products because I can't be having you riding at home with my competitors. <laughs> Nobody in the online. They've space. done nothing for me. I'm not loyal. Give me whatever you want. You want me over. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody can be riding with anybody but Expo Go. Um, but I, but I think that you know, huge opportunities for us because people were indoctrinated into cycling, where maybe they were intimidated before. It wasn't something they were going to do. I went out and I bought a bike when I took this job. I thought they were crazy. I was like, well, why would I do this? Why, why would I take this job? Everybody's gone out and is riding at home. And the difference is, is that we are rhythm based. Riding, which you really can't do remotely because there's a feed, right? There's a distance in that. There's a lapse in that. So to some degree, we're just a completely different experience and, and we're selling experiential fitness. And I think people want to come back, right? We all wanted to reconnect. We wanted to play by the rules so that we could all be together again. And I think that now is that opportunity for us to embrace those riders who weren't part of our brand before, would never step foot in a cycle studio or rowing or any of the other modalities we have. So I think it's a unique opportunity for us, but I think that now more than ever, people want to come back and I don't want them to stop cycling at home entirely. I don't because there's a place for that, right? There's almost that um, Tevia, who is our uh, director of education and pretty much the founder of the format of Cycle Bar and been here, you know, she's she's sort of our OG, right? She's like our Michael Jordan of, of spinning. Um, and she well, talks not about- the, Not the star of Fiddler on the Roof. No, <laughs> no, no, different Tevia. So yeah, no, 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 different Tevia. She um, talks a lot about how some people come here to compete and some people come here to surrender, right? And so you have that moment where you're in this room that's filled with light and sound and in the back row, that's me in the back row, um, hiding out and just being submerged in that moment. And I think that people need that, whether it's at home or whether it's in studio, I think that this has been a time for inward reflection. She also says that movement is her meditation. We joke about neither of us are yogis. We can never sit and quiet our minds. My mind doesn't work that way. <laughs> so um, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, Meltzer fan. I've been Goya hard for a long time. So and I, I'm GSD, just get it done, right? 
Um, so I can't stop. I can't quiet. That hamster's always in that wheel. And I think that it's just cathartic for people. And I think cycling has been something that I think really surprised people as something that was something that they'd embrace. Right. So Dave, can I, I'll make a quick comment before yeah, you drop gems, because I don't want what you said to get lost on everybody watching this. I think what you said was so powerful in regards to competition. So many people are afraid of competition. And obviously we're not going to name any other companies here, but there's a major one in your space, but you're looking at it as an opportunity. Guess what? There are more people interested in cycling now. How are we going to capitalize on that? I think yeah. that's an amazing lesson. Sorry. Yeah. Dave. No, for sure. That's one of the One of the things that came to mind was in why you would take the job. Uh, I think <laughs> what's more re remarkable uh, is that you took the job in the pandemic. So I was more curious for everyone's uh, help how you got the job. You know, wh when did you start looking? How how did you go through the process, et cetera? It just seems like, you know, such a big organization, a successful organization to get a C-level executive position. How did you get that job? Uh, you know, you and I met um, over a year before I left my, uh, I left the job that I had at another personal training fitness and you were our keynote speaker. And I left that job and that was in New York. It was a lot of traveling and came back to be with my family. And it was an opportunity for me to sit back and reflect on what I was going to do next. Um, I'd been on the founding team of Massage Envy, the joint amazing last studio. I have a great resume. I've been very blessed to do work that I love. And I feel like this was just an opportunity to find people who were, you know, we kind of talk a little bit about that same vibration, right? And people were in that space that believed that fitness was going to come back. And Anthony Geisler, um, the uh, founder of Exponential, years ago I had heard was buying up verticals in the fitness space and was going to put a membership-based model above that, which I thought was brilliant. So it was always in the back of my mind. And as I got more and more into fitness and realized that really successful people are really big into fitness, right? It's, it's, it's part of pushing yourself, right? It's part of making yourself better. And I was hoping to find an opportunity like this. Um, and I think it just found me and I was just fortunate. It was that right thing at that right time that I think was just what I was looking for. And the, um, the recruiter found me initially. I was floating in my pool during the pandemic, watching the trees go by with everybody else on Facebook and the world unraveling a bit, right? And thinking, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. It's got to be with the right brand. It's got to be the right thing. Um, again, I worked hard to craft a resume that I can be proud of, right? That, that got me a door to open. And this one just happened to fall in my lap. But um, Anthony had also made a commitment to our franchise owners and to the people in our offices that nobody was going to be furloughed and no stores were going to close. Um, and when they had to close because of mandates, the minute they were ready to reopen, our teams were ready. They worked harder during the pandemic than they did before, right? To keep those doors open and get them back open. Across our nine brands, Exponential opened 250 fitness studios during a global pandemic. Wow. So if it tells you about that commitment, I just felt compelled. This is, these are my people, right? These are the people they're gonna hustle. They're gonna grind, they're gonna work. They're not gonna take no. They're, they know that there's a need and an opportunity. And when, you know, it's that leap in the path appears right? Leap in the net appears. And so that's kind of, I think, how it all unfolded for me. 
Yeah. Attention, inten- attention plus yeah. intention equals coincidence. And yeah. you are now the queen of coincidence. I almost yeah. want to turn the W and Weiss around. Then you'd be a DM like the rest of us. <laughs> we'll stick with the DWW for win. Go ahead, Dave. we got time for one more question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everyone wants to work with like-minded people. And I want to, since we're both uh, disciples of my good friend, David Meltzer here, we're going to talk about one of his lessons. And you've had an impressive background, both as a chief marketing officer, also as a chief operating officer. There's not a lot of people that have had both in their, in their background. Obviously, you've learned a lot along the journey. Tell us one lesson you learned early in your career so that there are people that look at Dawn Weiss as motivation so that they don't pay the dummy tax that you pay going forward. Oh, boy. Um, you know, y- you have to want it. In franchising, I can lay out the best laid plans. My strategy can be airtight. I can tell you everything you need to do. I can show you case studies. I can show you data points. But as an owner, if you don't embrace it, if you don't want it, you can't be successful. If you're not willing to run the play, you have to believe, you have to buy in, you have to be willing, you have to do the work, right? There's still work. And so I think a lot of people look at my path and think, you know, I've been part of some great brands. I've just really gotten lucky. But I've also sat in silence in meetings where maybe I wasn't the smartest person. But now I'm the most experienced, right? I I come to one conclusion after all of these years, and that is my job isn't to know all the answers, to know all the questions. That's my job. That's what I get paid for, right? Ask the questions, know the questions, know where to look, know how to ask, know when to ask. Those are important. So for people who are looking out there and wonder, you know, how do you juggle it? How do you get there? What's that path look like? It's find it, want it, be consistent, stay on it, work for it. I'm not afraid of work. I'll do the janitor's job if I have to. Right. That's what got me here. And that's what's going to keep me here. I love that. You're amazing. The incredible Don Y, CMO of Cycle Bar and Row House, soon to be an executive or owner of Exponential Fitness. I'm scared. Uh, you <laughs> get Hardly. Yeah, I like this job. Don't mess it up for me. Well, thank we, you guys not, so much. If I can mess up your job, you're in big trouble. So <laughs> we love you. You're amazing. Go thank to cyclebar.com, check out uh, their exponential go. Um, you're just a great entrepreneur and we'd love to have you back on to more of our programs. Thank you so much for the lessons that you have taught us and the great motivation and inspiration you bring to so many to be healthy. Remember everyone, if you're healthy, you get as many wishes in a day that you want, but if you're not, you only have one wish. So use Cycle Bar and Row House to stay healthy. Thanks so much, Don. That's Thank a commercial, you guys so much. It's Thank already recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. She's amazing. What a great way to start. All right. You got to buckle up here because the next guest, this is my boy. Do I have he's to get changed baller. before he comes? I'm underdressed he's, to be on the stage with Jason Waller. He's the Waller. He's the baller. This guy, CEO of Power Home Solar, living, he's like Eminem of solar. He he lived in a trailer. <laughs> How are you doing, David? Hey, David, what's up, baby? What's up, J-Dub? 313, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Shout out to my boy Jalen Rose. How about that? Three one three. What did you do? Is Jalen Rose Eminem the yeah. true underdog himself? The true underdog podcast, one yeah. of the best podcasts I've ever been on. I listen to it all the time. He's the only guy I know that gets bigger guests than me. I'm gonna have to. You know, if anyone calls me to get my guest, Dave, I'm gonna have to start calling Jason to get. I don't know about there. that. I don't know about yeah. you've got some big guests too. I've I'm still trying to go into that <laughs> pond there and get some of them. I'm working on that. 
anytime. And I'm going to be visiting you this Sunday. The only thing that's uh, performing under par for Jason is his Detroit Lions. (laughs) (laughs) They're bad. They're really bad. I thought they would do okay. They're really bad. I feel I horrible. You, golf was not. You blew it. You should have kept Stafford. <laughs> I should have shut my mouth about that. I was on air talking about it. That's not good. Hey, let, let's talk Two about games. being underdogs. Because, yeah. you know, you know, you look at us three, and you would say for sure Dave Marino would be the underdog, the overachiever. Look, Dave Marino grew up way richer than me and you. His mom's a judge. He's way more academically inclined. Like he graduated law school, top of his class from University of Miami. You, I don't even think graduated high school. This is the anomaly of America right here. They look at us and they're like, look at those overprivileged guys, David Meltzer and Jason Waller. And yet Dave Marino over there, he's the spoiled, rotten, entitled freak. He's more athletic than us too, by the way. Oh, He had every advantage in the world. Look at us. (laughs) We're the true underdogs. Let us know because there's underdogs right now that are looking at us going, man, if these three clowns can be successful, I can do it too. And that's, I know one of the great inspirations that you give you're building. How many salespeople do you have? Uh, well, we have 2,200 employees and we have about 400 salespeople. And you guys are over the B mark uh, here in valuation. You guys are killing yep. it. Yep. Um, but you know, it, thank it you. Thank you. Thank you. It, it didn't happen overnight, Jason. Uh-oh. The one thing I love about you is, you know, LeBron James, who I love he, when he was with uh, Cleveland, they had the all in, right. We're all in when the Cavaliers beat the golden state warriors. Yep. Dude, you epitomize all in. You're not just a true underdog. You're a true underdog. That's all in. A lot of guys would have quit when they made it the first time you went all in to the point where your partners weren't even willing to go all in. And then you were gracious enough when you succeeded again by going all in to let your partners back in and share in the wealth yes. of Power Home Solar. You know, what is it about you that allows you to be all in? I, I think it's, I, I don't, I don't like people to control or dictate what I can do in life. You know, growing up, you know, poor, living in a trailer park, kind of look being looked down on by my future in-laws and by people at school. It was something I couldn't control. I couldn't control how much money we had. I couldn't control where I lived. I was a child. And I think that that mentality, and then, you know, when I got into business and I started working for companies and I was a top salesperson, I was crushing it. I wouldn't get promoted because I didn't have the education. I didn't have the age. And, you know, those were the things that really just pushed me. Like, I've got to do things on my own. And I think that, that we talk about all the wins and thank you, very kind, but there's a lot of failures. There's there's nights you don't sleep. There's, you know, two years I didn't get a paycheck. I had the wife giving me the stink eye. We sold our house, put the money in. But I feel like if you're going to bet on anybody in life, you need to bet on yourself. Otherwise, nobody will bet on you. Nobody will follow you. Nobody will work for you. No one will, will be a part of your, what we call BAM, building a movement because you can't, if you don't bet on yourself, they're not going to follow you. And I, I feel like I have to show that to rally people around me to be better and grow some something. And, and that's what I've done. I just, I just won't quit. I just don't want to lose. And when I do lose, I learn from it. And then I just keep pressing on because when you quit, you have lifetime of regret. But when you give 110%, if you don't get your results, at least you learn something and you're not, you're not bothering yourself with that regret for the rest of your life. So it's, it's just that tenacity and grit. Bam, bam, bam. Man, Jay Waller, you're such an inspiration. I love you to death, brother. I'm going to yeah. start this off probably how Jalen started off the podcast with you. What up, though? That's how they say it. What up, Trey? What up, though? Uh, you are an inspiration. Me and Meltzer talk all the time about folks that have been through something and trusting folks that have been through adversity 
to run companies, to run countries, to be the decision makers. Because when stuff gets tough, we know folks that have faced adversity before are not going to shit the bed, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and it's all about where you finish, not necessarily where you start. And contrary to what Dave's saying, he's joking. My mom was true underdog. She had me yeah. at 16 years old, single mom, raised me up. You know, I learned so much of my grit from being motivated by her to not be a failure based on all of her, all of her successes and all her sacrifices. Yeah. So fact, I, wanna I want ask her you, to be on the show instead of you. Yeah, we got we to <laughs> get her on, actually. Jason, I'm sure, you know, going through this process, there were moments, minutes and moments where you want to quit, right? Mm-hmm. And your patience was tested. What were you telling yourself? And I know motivation is temporary. What were you telling yourself in those moments uh, when you felt like you wanted to quit and that, you know what, this this solar thing ain't going to be anything? Kind of like Westlaw with Dave in the 90s. The internet's not going to be anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, you start to second guess yourself. You start to doubt yourself. That starts to grow inside. And you just got to get back to what the main thing is. Like, why are you there? What is bigger than you? What are you chasing, right? If you're just chasing money, that, that then you're wasting your time. But if it's bigger than that, you better start believing it and not quit on it. Now, you got to have faith and you got to just put the pieces together. There were nights I cried. I th- prayed. I was like, what can I do to make this better? And I struggled, but I, I focused on, okay, let me simplify this. I can't conquer the world in one day, but I can conquer tomorrow. And then the next day I can conquer that one. And I just started living this mentality of you got to take the steps and I, and I got to do one more thing today than I did yesterday. And as that started to do, I started to get the momentum and it started to get wins. And then it started to feel good because then it was like, oh, I'm actually, I'm growing that the company's growing. I'm, I'm not quitting. Cause you get so discouraged. All of us do. You're like, oh, that mountain's too high to climb. Well, if you take one step at a time, it's not that bad. If you just watch your steps, you can't keep looking up because you get discouraged. And I think I just had to refocus and I had to, to re-energize myself, believe in myself, and then just start that process. And Jason, one of the things, uh, becoming close with you and one of the greatest gifts the last couple of years is how close I've become with you because you're one of my favorite people because you have an open mind an open heart and open hands uh and you know i grew up in a family different although poor that education secular academic education was you know the 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 pinnacle of what we were supposed to do doctor lawyer failure kind of like dave's mom put the pressure she didn't want to play football he was in the band and he had to lie to her but you know one of the things that i'm reconciling today for young entrepreneurs is a differentiator about education and academic education. You know, there, there's a lot of, you know, downplaying on going to college, but that has nothing to do with education. And there's so many different ways to be educated. You're living proof. I mean, I'm not sure you've ever read an entire book, but you've written one. It's launching in January. And by far, if I need advice on certain things, although you're not a Harvard MBA, I will tell you that you're first on my list ahead of every Harvard MBA that I know for business advice. That's how much I value how you've educated yourself. I appreciate what that. is your perspective coming from, you, you, you didn't finish high school, you did, I forget. Did you get- I did not finish traditional high school, no. Yeah. I, I, after 10th grade, I, I went out and I went to uh, Stanley Community College and got a vocational diploma, but it wasn't a real high school diploma. Yeah, so taking that, you know, what is your perspective on education? You know, when kids come to you, Mr. Waller, I want to be just like you. Should I go to college? Should I go to graduate school? Should I go to vocational school? Should I watch YouTube? Like, what do you tell kids about education coming from your background compared to David and mine? 
How long do we have? Okay. Well, I will, I will say this. That's enough that, for you to have another two kids. man. That's right. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, I, I believe education is an experience unless you're going to be like a doctor, a lawyer, things like that. You know, I see a lot of these Harvard grads just had some in our office today that they know all the paperwork and the process and the stuff they learned in school. They don't know how to make a decision on people. They don't know how to scale a business. They can read it in a book, but until they lived it, they don't know. They don't know how to inspire people and get them to believe in what you're doing in your company. You need that experience to do that. And I think over time, I think if if, if you know what you want to be in life and it requires a degree, you should do that. That's what I told my kids. Like, if you want to go to college to be something that needs that, do it. If not, the best experience in training life, at least on my life that I've learned, is getting out there and doing what you love and failing and learning and failing and learning and failing and learning. And I, I think that too many times we put so much pressure. I used to feel so insecure about being around people in college degrees are much smarter than me. Now I'm excited to be around people smarter than me because you can't be great at everything. So I pick the few things I'm great at. And then I surround myself with people like you guys that bring other attributes to my life to help elevate me. And I'm like, whoa, I can get some wisdom and knowledge here and be coached and, oh, I can learn about this. And it really makes a team. I believe business and life's like a puzzle and you need to surround yourself with the right people that bring value to really help elevate you and that you can bring value to them and help elevate them. And I've tried to do that, you know, my last four or five years surrounding myself with people smarter than me. I talk about it all the time. I didn't know what EBITDA was three or four years ago, but yet I built three companies. And so it was, I don't like not knowing. I don't like being the the, the dumbest person in the room. Like if, I, I won't ever do that again. If we're going to talk about something, I'm going to learn about it. So I sat down with the attorney and the CFO. I was like, you're going to explain this to me. And after a day, I got it. ABC, I, I understood it all. And now it's like, okay, that's good that I know that. But I didn't need to know that. I hire the right people to manage that. I got to be the vision and you got to find out where your place is, what your skill set is. And then you got to maximize that. And then the things that you might deficient in, might be deficient and get other people around you. And I'm not against education. I'm just against education. If it's not going to benefit a, a spot in life for your career or something you're passionate about, then I think it might be wasteful. Yeah. I know one thing to add to is timing and risk tolerance because education is an investment in yourself and the cost of education can be inhibiting of success. You know, we are overspending for what's free. You know, I love Goodwill hunting when he said, Hey man, that's great. All that BS that you just, you know, barfed all over me, but it's nothing I could have got the $5 of overcharges at the library. It's never more true than now on YouTube and other places that are extremely accessible. Uh, Go ahead, Dave. We got time for one last question. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a, it's a subtle one. I think it's overlooked with with Jason because his background is is so impressive. Why I mean, he breaks even with his weight? Is that what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's got the True Underdog podcast, which is which is a hit. We can talk about so many things. I want to stay on Power Home Solar for for a bit because there's not a lot of companies that get to a B, and a lot not a lot of companies come from a guy that got kicked out of high school, teenage dad. You know, I coach a lot of folks just like Dave and, you know, learn a lot from him. And some of the young guys I coach, you know, they build these companies up and they go, oh, I got to find someone else to run this because, you know, I don't look like how they want someone to look and I don't have the education. Talk to me about the decision to stay on as CEO, the difficulties you face and what advice you have for those guys. Because yeah. I'm not the best guy for those that advice you are. And I'm going to take a clip and show it to them. That's the greatest. I mean, that's a great question because. I, I brought just wanted, on, Dave, hold on. He was saying it's the greatest question, but go ahead. That, that was two the points. greatest question I've heard in a long time. That's what two I was going to say. Yeah. Not ever. Yeah. Two points. Okay. So when, when, when we were hitting around 45 million in sales in 2017, it was waters I wasn't used to. 
And I had a conflict with my business partner, Kevin Klink, because I said, we need to bring a new CEO in here or a president to really get us private equity because I don't know how to do that. In order for us to scale and grow the right way, I'm going to bring someone in here. So I had to have enough humility to be able to do that. But then it bothered me. I brought him in. So it was a learning experience and he shouldn't have been the CEO. He is our president now and I love him. And he's a mentor for me. He's older, has the gray hair. He's been part of billion dollar acquisitions, but he isn't a driver. He isn't the vision guy. He's not the guy from the beginning. And so those young entrepreneurs out there, what I learned after six months of doing that, I had to give him a paper and almost fire him. I was like, look, you can't be the CEO and you didn't raise the money yet. He's like, give me three more months. I said, well, you're not going to be CEO because this is my company and, and you're more work, you know, worried about facilitating HR and accounting and all those things that are super important. But I need a face for the franchise. You've got to have a face for your company. And he's not that. It's me. And so I've got to get out of my own way and not feel, oh, someone else can do it and I can't fit those shoes. This is my baby. Your, your business is like your child. You don't want someone else raising your child. Maybe you need some advice to raise your child. So bring other people in smarter. And so that's what I did is I gave him his role and made him accountable for really operating the, the compliance and the accounting part of our business. And I took CEO back and then we just skyrocketed from there. And it, you, you have to be able to overcome that fear of doubt and not believing in yourself. You have to bet on yourself. And then if you feel like you're deficient, Get help to help surround you and build a great executive team. I always say the Avengers, I love Superman, but Superman can't beat the whole Avengers. A team is better than one. And it's really important to surround yourself with a team. All right, real quick before I let you go, because I got to catch up on points. I have the best question to ask you, even greater than the greatest question you've heard before. And it comes from Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders told me to ask you, do you love the sun? Oh, I, I love the sun. <laughs> so have you haven't seen the new commercial, the new Barry? I saw it. I oh, saw it. what did you think about that? I said, look, nothing beats the sun, not even Barry Sanders, right? And not he's running from it. That's a solid commercial. He's one of the best human beings. I've, first of all, I was the biggest fan. So you to too. have him be part of our company and to sit and do dinner with me and, and hang out and see my dad, who's a huge fan, and come to my son's party, that he's just a great human being. It was surreal to me. But to do a TV commercial with him, he's funny. We've got some outtakes where I'm like, nothing beats the sun except, Barry, you know, not even Barry Sanders. He's like, yo, I, I had to tie my shoes. And I'm like, well, you should get new shoes. It's like, well, I'll go buy Velcro shoes. Like he was, it was hilarious. And he was getting in his element. And, you know, it, Barry Sanders is the man. Like, I, I love that guy. And his new commercials with Nissan are hilarious too for the college uh, Heisman. Yeah. Well, October 15th, you are one of the stars with David Marino in office hours on Bloomberg and Amazon, the first late night entrepreneurial show. And super excited. Uh, we had fun. And your wisdom evokes with the greatest stars from Cameron Diaz, the sad guru to Rob Deerdeck to John Astaroff. We are just loaded with talent on and off the couch. I Thank you guys both. Jason, I'll see you on Sunday at the Detroit Athletic Club yes. at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And then we're on to the game with your son and Miles to share a unique experience. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Thank you, David. David, love you guys. Be safe. Thank you. Yeah, Bam. 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 That was a great Jason Waller. We're just fired up here today. We got, you know, unbelievable talent on this show. That's all I got to say. And we're not slowing down with Lexi. That's for sure. She is the owner of Always Reason, alwaysreason.com. Look at She looks like an angel in white sitting there in the white chair compared to the devil that just left us. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, well, she has an incredible docuseries, Born for Business, uh, which you obviously are born for. Just like Jason Waller uh, was born for business. 
uh, how and when did you know that you were born for business? Um, I would probably say at a very young age because my father owns his own um, tree service and he's very successful. So I kind of knew I always wanted to be my own boss, especially, you know, he's a tough boss. So I definitely didn't want to be on the other end. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I knew very early on that, like, I wanted to own my own company. I just didn't know what field until probably around the end of high school. And what makes your dad a tough boss, by the way? Because I have three daughters that tell me I'm a tough boss. And I'm curious, you know, what it was that you saw in him or through him that made him a tough boss. Oh, my God. I mean, anytime, like, he's just he's just a grumpy guy. He could flip a switch so quick if a worker does, like, something wrong. He's just very, like, you know, puts the hammer down on them. And I was just always on, like, the other side. Just, like, I don't want someone Can to you- like he yells at them so I'm good like he's you know that's how he does things not how I really would do things but I love it wanted to stay away from that (laughs) Lexi thank you so much for joining us and if anyone hasn't seen the docuseries it's truly inspirational I'd I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about it a little more about it and it also so many folks and you said I didn't figure out exactly what it was to the end of high school you are like 40 years ahead of most people uh, finding it out in high school. But so many folks want to start a business and, and don't w- know where to start. What advice do you have for them? And what can you tell us about the docuseries? So as far as the docuseries goes, Born for Business follows four entrepreneurs with a disability of some sort. So mine would be anxiety, which is very overlooked as a disability. So I'm happy that the TV, that Buna Murray gave us a platform, well, gave me too, someone with anxiety a platform to speak on it. Um, but yeah, so it kind of follows our personal lives. And for me personally, I'm opening the store. I get proposed to on it. So it was just so much happening at once. But anyone who's not sure about like the path they want to take to answer that question, I would say, honestly, find something that you enjoy doing and then try to make a career off of that. Because like the saying goes, if you're not happy and if you're not doing what you love, then why do it at all? You'll never work a day in your life. So that's what I would say about that. And coming from the perspective of your father uh, and having three daughters of my own that are 22, 20, and 17, um, I have to fight being insensitive. And one of the things that I have to fight being insensitive about is anxiety, uh, right? It's just the cultural differences of how I grew up and, you know, with football coaches grabbing my helmet and calling me names and shaking my head. And, uh, you know, if any time at all you felt fearful or anxious, you know, it was completely dismissed and probably has caused some great traumatic, uh, it makes my therapist rich, by the way, um, (laughs) how I have to, how I have to deal with it. Um, But, you know, coming from that perspective, you know, your anxiety was overwhelming. It caused you to drop out of college. It's, you know, been a huge challenge for you. How as someone from that has anxiety, that is, you know, millennial like yourself and your perspective, how best do you communicate how real anxiety is when you talk to some closed-minded, middle-aged, you know, hard-hitting, you know, tree service guy that's like, yeah, you got anxiety. So do I. Tough, toughen up, Lex. Toughen up. You know, don't be, don't be, you know, such a wimp. What, what do you say to that? And how can we, that come from a different generation, be more sensitive and open-minded to helping people with anxiety instead of just dismissing it? Well, it's always so hard. And anyone who asks me, like, how'd you get through it? Or how'd you figure it out? 
the thing is, this is a, a disease that's happening in your brain. It's not visible to anybody. Everyone knows what being sad feels like and being nervous feels like and being on edge feels like. So what I always do is I compare it and do metaphors or similes. Like if you're an athlete, think about right before you go on the field or, you know, go on stage for something, that feeling of butterflies in your stomach is something that people with anxiety live with constantly. It's not just the moment right before something big happens. It's something we wake up with, we go to sleep with. I always like to say too, that you know, it's like a wound in your brain, you know, and you got a bandaid there, but you can't see it. So what I say to that is like, I definitely had that with my family. I mean, it took like, four years, maybe for people to really see it. It wasn't until uh, my anxiety got to throwing up every day, which I didn't even know it did. Um, but it apparently can manifest to that 100%. So when I was throwing up every day, we went to the doctors. And then my dad was just there. And that's when he saw like, I wasn't sick. There was no reason to be throwing up. It wasn't food poisoning. It's been a month straight. And he just saw me, you know, throw, like gagging. And he's like, okay, something's wrong. Fix her. Like you have to see it, which it sucks. It sucks. You have people have to see it to understand it or they have to go through it to understand it. But I mean, it's like, how do you explain something going on in your head that you don't understand? You know, it's like, and then doctors will ask you, do you, do you have a voice in your head? And you're like, no, no, like, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not there. It's more of just my, yeah, it's my voice, but it's like negative, constant thoughts. Any good situation is made bad because I look into one little thing and it's, it's all about just everything being overwhelming. And I think that with the older generation, there also has to be an understanding that social media was not around or even half as big. Uh, social media, I mean, I know girls from the age of three to 10 right now that cannot go to school because they have crippling anxiety. It's completely different. You see social media, people put up their fake life, their their best version of their life. Now, I shouldn't say fake, but the prettiest version of their life. And that's not real. And I think that people constantly seeing that, you're going to constantly compare yourself. It doesn't matter if the person's Instagram you're looking at is good looking or if they're exceeding in this career or, you know, everything you're going to compare it to. And there's millions of people, millions of them are successful. And those are the ones you're looking at. So what is, what is that doing to your brain? It's telling you that you should be there when in reality, everyone's on their own path. And I think that there's just so many levels to anxiety and stuff that I had no idea that it can grow to like throwing up every day. And then that can cause ulcers, you know, it can lead to things that no one talked about ever. For sure. Lexi, yeah. that's powerful stuff. And, you know, you are a motivation and inspiration because you have this crippling anxiety. But guess what? You did it, right? Always reason, in addition to the show, is in its third year. You're about to advance into brick and mortar. But I want to just build on what you were talking about because it's such an important point. What tools or resources did you use to get through those moments, to push through, to have the television show, to have this great personal life and congrats on the engagement, to have a successful brand and store that's actually, you know, morphing from an online store to a brick and mortar store? What, what sort of tools did you use to, to get through those things and push through? 
So anytime people ask me this, I always struggle with it, but I think I finally have a clear answer. So what I would do is the first thing I did when I had no idea what was going on, I just knew I would have panic or anxiety attacks, randomly crying, shaking, and, you know, very bad thoughts all the time. So the first thing I started to do was video diaries, video diaries, which actually they use some of them in the show. I did that way before the show, way before casting. I did that for me. And anyone with anxiety really should do this. When you're feeling anxious or having a panic attack, videotape yourself. No one ever has to see it, ever. But it's for you. You you black out, right? Like when you're drunk. When you have anxiety or panic attack, you black out. You don't remember half the things going on. How are you going to remember what caused it? So having the video diary, I'll just like put it down and I'll just lay out everything. Like, okay, so this just happened and this and this and this. So later on when I have, you know, I'm not going through an uh, anxiety or panic attack, I can look at these video diaries and kind of put my finger on what caused it. So that was the first thing I did. Then eventually I realized, and I just came up with this and I absolutely love it, beautiful distractions. And what that means is- Look at a picture of Dave Meltzer. (laughs) What? I said, look at a picture of Dave Meltzer. Oh, yeah, there you go. It'll make, it'll make you laugh. At the right? way. It'll make you laugh. <laughs> if anything distracts you and you have anxiety, it's beautiful. It can be going to get a coffee at Starbucks. You're thinking, open the door, walk in, go to the register. You're not in your head. You're not alone with yourself up there. You know what I mean? So you got to take your anxiety. If it's, let's say, sitting in your head, right? Anxiety's in the driver's seat. You got to take that bitch out. Sorry for my language. And put her in the trunk. And focus on other things. So I realize when I'm with my friends, I'm not really thinking about anxiety, so I should do that more. When I drive somewhere, I'm not really thinking about it, so I should do that more. And then all these little things ended up being distractions. And eventually, it's a mind game. It is a it is a mind game of tricking your mind and saying like, oh, I went to get a coffee and you're not bothering me now. That's how easy that was. You know what I mean? So it's all about kind of tricking that little whatever in there, a little anxiety, negative voice in your head. It's just, it's just pushing it to the side and letting something else take the front. Like kind of like um, my therapist once told me one of the best things to do when you're in the middle of an anxiety or panic attack is take ice or something cold and put it on you. Cause what are you going to think? Ah, that's freaking cold, right? Like you're going to be like, Oh my God, it's cold. And you're not going to think it's, it's just like that. It's such a, it's, it's like a, the stupidest, but like most important thing about anxiety, I really feel like is just putting something else in the front seat, even if it's just going on that drive, going to see your friend. If you know you won't be having anxiety during that, do it. No doubt. And the most beautiful distraction that we can have as you're at disease, disease means you're at disease. And anxiety obviously puts us at disease. And we want to be at ease, is uh, we can't outthink anxiety. But we can, as you noted, take action uh, that will change our emotions and our anxiety. And the best action to take, the most beautiful distraction of all is to do a good deed. And so if you can go do something for someone else, it will change not only those emotions and anxiety, but also will raise your vibration and frequency uh, to one of happiness, to one of ease, not disease. And thank you so much for your company, your docuseries on Peacock. Uh, people can find Lexi at alwaysreason.com. You're an incredible inspiration to so many people to understand of all generations 
what that dis-ease is about and how common it is, and also some great ways to overcome it. You certainly are an icon for that. Thanks so much, Lex, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. You're amazing. All right, David, real quick, I got to get to the coaching session with uh, my boy Kevin Palmieri and Alan Lazarus. Uh, What's your takeaway for the day? Really quick takeaway, stay the course. From Dawn to Jason to Lexi, I mean, a lot of, all three of them could have gave up early on in their careers and they pushed through. Obviously, you know, coming from a trailer park to running a billion dollar company to having crippling anxiety to now having a television show and a brand that's in stores. And obviously Dawn wearing several different titles, jumping ship to a company during a pandemic in the fitness space. Um, those are all scary things. And every one of us goes to scary things daily. You got to stay the course. You got it. Mine is know what you want. Don't listen to what other people want for you, what's missing or what you don't want. I think all three of our guests, uh, whether it was Dawn, Jason, and of course, Lexi, have a lot of people in their lives telling them what's best for them and them knowing what they want and doing everything they can to enjoy that pursuit of what they want, not what's missing and what they don't want is essential. I certainly appreciate you coming on here with the DM version of Office Hours with David Meltzer and David Marino. Can't wait for the TV show to launch on October 15th. Dave Marino's a superstar as well with Jason Waller. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm going to bring on my superstar coaching clients. Thank you, David. Enjoy your baby. Remember, as we leave that, be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. All right. Let's bring on my all-star coaching clients. They've been around since I was a young man. The Next Level University. These two are Next Level. Kevin Palmieri, Alan Lazarus, my two boys, Show people what we do in a coaching session, how to come prepared and bring it. Well, let's do it, Dave. Thank you again for the time as always. So our good friend, Evan Carmichael, says that everybody has Michael Jordan level talent in something. You're really good and really proficient at many things. What is the one area where you have Michael uh, Michael Jordan level talent and how did you figure that out? Effectively communicating is a quantum potential of mine that's much higher than other people's in this lifetime. Uh, So we all have quantum potentials. And part of the process or journey is finding what we're best at and then leaning into that by enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of it. Basketball is not. Although I was born in the same hospital as LeBron James and Steph Curry, basketball is not a quantum potential. So what we want to do is lean into our own skills, our knowledge, and our desire. See, our desire usually will pick out something that we have a higher potential of. But a lot of times it also will be confusing because we haven't explored other things that we even have a higher potential of. So for me, I had a quantum love for sports. I just picked a sport that, you know, I'm an average division three college football player. Well, plenty of people would think that's a high potential. But I, for example, in effectively communicating the ability to articulate value, to exceed what I'm asking for, to communicate effectively, to know what people are listening for and to have them hear what I say, not just listen to what I say, but actually hear what I say and then execute on that. That's a gift that far exceeds any athletic ability that I have. Uh, although it doesn't diminish the love that I have for it or the enjoyment I have pursuing my potential, because I still think the closest I've come to my potential is to be an average division three football player. But if I can get that close to my effective communication ability, that potential, that quantum nature that I have inherited genetically and energetically, oh boy, look out. We're going to inspire and empower that billion or more people that we're looking to empower and inspire. Dave, can I follow up real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you're reviewing your effective communication, 
how do you know how well you're actually doing compared to what you're capable of since that's an unconscious competency for you? Yeah. So what we have to do in, is really dangerous in speaking because there's a, there's a 10% rule in speaking that beginning speakers all fall into this trap, including I did. And here's the deal. When you speak, about 10% of the people are on your frequency. So no matter what you say, they're going to understand it and be inspired by it. They're going to resonate with them. It's going to connect to them. So when you're looking at your potential as a quantum ability, your potential to clear the interference, not just between you and the most powerful source of light, love, and lessons, but the ability to appreciate it and communicate it without interference to other people, we have to deal with the 90% that most people don't think about. See, when you do a speech to 100 people and 10 people come up to you and say, that's the greatest speech I've ever heard. Oh my God, it resonated so well. It changed my life. You walk away thinking, I'm amazing. I'm an amazing communicator. My quantum being must be exceptional when it comes to communicating. Not true. That's just the spectrum that's natural. See, what we want to do is try to figure out as an intelligent follower what people are listening for and then go to the people that are listening for it and see if they are hearing what you say because it's not what you say, it's what they hear. And if we can quantify the next 10% and the next 10%, if you could do a speech and 90% of the people wait an hour so that they can tell you how grateful they are or you see and it resonates and you have people coming to you saying, not only did I hear you, Dave, but I've done, I say thank you before I go to bed and when I wake up and my life has changed and you start quantifying the effects and impacts that you're having, you will see a difference, a differentiator of why certain people are great communicators and others are just communicating to the frequency that is already tuned into themselves. Dave, you've mentioned it twice already. People, what you say versus what people hear. How do you personally know and I think what you mean by that is that they're actually hearing what you mean, meaning they understand it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or can execute on it, right? So uh, it comes from Lou Holtz, who was the head coach at Notre Dame. He, and he quoted, I quoted him years ago. He said it and it just struck me. I'm like, man, your team just, they went out there and they kicked butt. You just inspired them. They were in spirit, connected to and through you. And he said, it's because it's not what I said in the locker room, Dave. It's what they heard, meaning, as Michelangelo said, it's how they feel, right? So from what you say to how they feel, to put what you say and energy and motion into an inspiration of an emotion that then propels them to execute on maybe not exactly what you say, but something even better. This transference, this transformation of energy from what I say to what they feel, to how they execute on what they feel, to elevate others, to elevate themselves, empower others, to empower others. All of these different things are in the context of effectively communicating. If you're effectively communicating, they will feel something. They just won't hear something. I've been listening to you all day today, Dave. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier was credibility. And if you were 100, this is your exact words. If I was 100% credible, I could ask all of you to wire $100,000 to my bank account and you would ask me for my, a million. <laughs> <laughs> and you would literally do it. Why do you believe other people? Because it's not the message, it's the messenger. It's both, obviously. But the messenger matters, the credibility underneath the communication. So how do you personally make sure your credibility is consistently increasing as well as your communication skills? I trust and vet myself. 
I go through everything that I'm thinking, saying, and doing with a fine-tooth credibility comb. I'm listening to myself, see if there's any exaggeration, any overselling, back-end selling, manipulation, or lying going on, even if it's subconscious. You know, I tell a story about how when I sold my office building, my wife and I, who I've asked to be part of my fine-tooth comb, I've asked her to call me on my BS so that I can practice not that inheritance that I received, the unfortunate inheritance of overselling, back-end selling, lying, manipulating, cheating genetically and energetically. So I told a friend of mine, hey, I sold my office building and I bought a studio. Well, the truth is I partnered in the studio. I didn't buy it. And so my wife called my bullshit out right there at the dinner table in front of everybody, which most people have been mad and embarrassing, but it was just a better way to learn a lesson that there's no reason because nobody cares whether I bought a studio or I partnered in the studio. But for some reason, my inheritance made me want to feel worthy that I somehow, you know, have expanded or grown in some value that is just an illusion of my own self-worth. And so I'm learning these lessons about worthiness through these lessons of communication of why I say certain things that aren't credible. And the minute someone catches you not being credible, man, the acceleration occurs down a wormhole of not even believing what is true, right? It's the ultimate boy that cries wolf. If you exaggerate something, oversell, back and sell, or manipulate someone, they now are listening to everything you say, thinking it's not true, manipulative, or exaggerating. Mm. Um, Kevin and I both talked prior to this about self-worth and we've been, we've been trying to understand self-worth at a deeper level. And you just mentioned it there regarding worthiness. How do you know the difference between true authentic self-worth and ego? Wow. I'm working on that. Um, and the way that I do so is to understand the triggers of the ego that are interfering with what I already am. See, my faith tells me that there's a greater source of all power, all knowing, omniscient being, and that I have to utilize the fact that I'm connected, I'm part of, that that's walking with me, inside of me. And so if all of that power is walking inside of me, if I have, as Bob Proctor says, enough power in my pinky to light up all of Manhattan, if that's really true, then I must be worthy, right? I I must be worthy. So then I can shift my perspective to not if I'm worried, Uh, worthy but instead what am i doing to interfere with that see so if i don't feel a hundred percent worthy or i'm diminishing my capacity or dissolving my credibility of worthiness then i have to figure out what am i doing what triggers are apparent in my life to interfere with the fact that i am healthy i am wealthy i am happy i am worthy i am more than enough what am i doing to diminish that to interfere with that that's my chief concern Dave, on every time we start these, I always try to say I'm grateful for the time. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I think gratitude is huge when it comes to not getting lost in the law of familiarity, obviously. What do you do to make sure that the law of familiarity doesn't creep in? I'm sure it does. And if it does, what do you do to make sure you're checking in with that to to get rid of it again? Well, there's a daily filter that I use and ask myself, you know, what am I taking for granted? that other people are wishing for. And during the pandemic, especially right now, it's so easy to frame things in the context of how much we take for granted. My breath, my family, the ability to go outside, to share a meal, all all type to travel, to leave my home. So in order to exercise the muscle 
of gratitude, then I have to have a perspective of finding, seeking the light, seeking the love, seeking the lessons. If I'm just sitting here passively taking things for granted that, you know, yeah, I say thank you before I go to bed and when I wake up, I say thank you to people most of the time when they do things for me. But what are you taking for granted? Are you taking for granted things that other people are wishing for? I guarantee it. And so when I have that as a filter, I remind, remember, and recollect that I'm happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy, and that I'm not going to take for granted for what other people are wishing for or what I used to wish for. I did that. This is how I lost everything, right? I had everything I ever dreamed of and took it all for granted with no gratitude, no forgiveness, no accountability, and living my life with interference instead of effectively communicate with the most powerful source of love, light, lessons without interference and allowing myself to live inspired in spirit at all times. Dave, if you could go back and talk to that old version of Dave before 2008 um, and you could only say one sentence and he would really hear it, what would that sentence be? Well, it was 2006 uh, when oh. my wife helped me through my transformation, two years before I lost everything. Um, but it's really simple. Ask for help. Asking for help is the key sign of radical humility, of the ability to be ignorant and humble, to understand you don't know what you don't know, to surrender while you're giving your best, to be a ferocious Buddha, to be as ferocious as you can, like a dog holding onto a tire and it won't let go, but yet I'm allowing everything to happen from the exercise of giving everything I have to do the best I can and to learn lessons and to have fun. I would tell myself simply, ask for help. Find someone that sits in the situation you want to be in and ask them for help. That's the easiest way to get to where you want to be, son. One more question from me the, the that just came up. I read a book called The Self-Made Billionaire Effect. It was a while ago. And they there was one common denominator. They studied a bunch of billionaires and they said that a billionaire, at least in this study, the research they did, could hold two seemingly opposing ideas in their consciousness simultaneously. Dave, you do that constantly. And I've noticed it. You know, you you have two seemingly opposing ideas in your consciousness all the time and in what you talk about. Are you, I guess, how do you explain that to someone who might be young and doesn't understand what I just said? Um, and then also, are you explicit in telling people about that? I haven't been as explicit in telling everyone about it, but as I have deeper relationships, especially in the coaching area with people like you, I will articulate the uh, fact that you can have two or three uh, completely conflictual ideas existing in your conscious once you understand the speed of thought, right? The speed of thought allows us to focus and refocus. It's uh, understanding the aspect that we can only focus in on one thing, but yet we can have multiple things that we refocus in on faster than the speed of light. So when I'm sitting here on the office hours, doing my emails, talking to you, listening to you, processing it, what I'm actually doing is holding these different thoughts. They can be conflictual or synergistic or supplementary to one another. That's just arbitrary and capricious. It has no effect on the fact that the truth is that I can gather enough data from the ability to think quicker than the speed of light because thoughts move faster than the 186 miles per second that 
exist from the 24 hours of activity that we have from the time light leaves the sun to earth is how our clock is established we're provided 24 hours of activity activity get paid for activity we don't get paid for and i'm able and capable of using my thoughtfulness to gather enough data on conflicting supplementary and synergistic thoughts in order to effectuate what appears to other people as one conscious thought with two differing or three differing uh, facts or data points to it. No, they're completely separate because our thoughtfulness can only focus in on one thing at a time. We refocus as quickly as we can on multiple things in order to effectuate and process data into the realm of the speed of light where it appears as if we're holding it all at once. That's where the term multitasking comes in. You can't multitask at the speed of light but you can multitask by gathering multiple refocus points in the thoughtfulness state and then allow it to appear as activity in the speed of light, which then constructs itself as conflicting views, conscious uh, continuums that are confusing to other people. This is one of the core studies that I'm doing right now is how to utilize the speed of thought in the speed of light. Wow. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen back to that a couple of times, I think. <laughs> um, Dave, this is something Alan and I are trying to figure out. And as we get around different people, you see the perception of the human and you see the reality of the human. And sometimes that comes with insecurities and, and things like that. From your studies and from your surroundings of different humans, what do you think true, real confidence is? Like what is actual confidence? Clarity balance, weighted balance, and focus. True confidence is having clarity, balance, and focus. That allows you to utilize the power of attention and intention to create the coincidences that you want. Creating the coincidences that you want creates the confidence. Confidence is the clearing of the interference between you and the truth. The truth is how you perceive the truth, which is the clarity of what the truth is, the balance of the truth, and the focus in on the truth. It's another way of putting into context the mathematical equation of faith and luck. Attention plus intention equals coincidence. Coincidence is confidence. Confidence is created from clarity. Clarity of what you want, balancing it within the context of your values, and focusing in on who and how to get it done. So the more corrosion you clear, the more confident you're capable of being. No doubt, because you have a clearer connection to the greatest source of omniscient, all power, all knowing. That's only going to give you more confidence energetically than anything else. Why do you think that's such a, and like to me, that's the first time I've ever heard it put any way like that. Why do you think that's such a common misconception about what confidence actually really is? Because ego is what most people think confidence is. Right. Edging goodness out of their life, adding gold out of their life. Ego is what creates the interference. It's counterintuitive that ego would deter from your confidence when most people determine ego to be confidence or arrogance. Uh, instead, ego is the interference. Ego is the need to survive, the fear in which we're not going to survive from the need to flee, fight, feed, or fornicate. We need to figure out what are these triggers that are creating this disturbance to our clarity, which are weighting ourselves to create unbalance and that are creating distractions from the focus and on what we want, who can help us, who we can help, how we can get it done and when and how to prioritize it in order to what? 
apply the why. The more we're capable of applying the why, the more confidence we are, meaning the more confident we are that we're connected to and through the omniscient, all-powerful, greatest source of energy of all time, that it is walking with us at all times, that it is inside of us at all times, that it created us at all times, that we are part and parcel to it. How could you not be confident, clear, balanced, and focused? Dave, uh, this might be I don't want to call it a selfish question, but my girlfriend and I, she she basically said to me recently that you've come up in my genius zone a lot more than I've come up in yours. And so she wants to learn more math and science and business acumen from me. And that's awesome. So we have whiteboards all over the house. And and we went back to first principles of certain scientific stuff. And we ended up on um, gravity, 9.8 meters per second squared, stuff like that. Uh, Newton's laws. So I know that Newtonian physics and mechanics has been... um, I don't want to say discredited. I don't know what the right term is, but I would, what are your thoughts on Newton's laws and how do you apply them if at all? Because I know you've talked to me a lot about, about quantum versus Newtonian. And I, and I want to understand how you reconciled that. Did you always study quantum physics or were you in the Newtonian, you know, frame for the first part of your life as well? Yeah, I reconciled Newtonian uh, thought that I studied at first with physics, metaphysics, and quantum physics. And the way that I do is the law of gravity itself in the quantum field says what? I'm at the right place at the perfect time. That's all it says. So in other words, I am healthy, happy, worthy, and wealthy in the quantum respect. Therefore, I can utilize in the Newtonian sense the law of Goya getting off my ass at the speed of light in the Newtonian science of doing everything I can, doing the best I can, enjoying it by learning lessons and having fun, but then transcend Newtonian thought or physics into quantum physics, which says inherent in that is a beacon or a frequency or a vibration. Inherent is that in that is personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions that have been energetically inherited as well as Newtonian genetically inherited in order to create an allowance, a beacon and attraction. And so when you can reconcile Newtonian science with metaphysics and quantum physics, you'll start realizing that I believe Newtonian The law of gravity is part and parcel and the best starting point in order to effectuate the great physical realm of trillions of universes, of quantum physics, of understanding timelessness in five dimensions or six dimensions, whatever you may believe, when we can reconcile those, because in the quantum sense, if there's infinity, then Newtonian science have to be a part and parcel of infinity. And so where does it play its role is the bigger question at the speed of light when where the frequency of Newtonian science is much more applicable in the realm in which we live, meaning gravity and in, in the law of being at the right place at the perfect time is much more important in the law of Goya, doing everything we can, the best we can, getting off our ass and doing it is much more applicable at the speed of light than the speed of thought, where quantum physics, metaphysics, and physics are really the things that allow us to transcend the other sciences into a multiple to a multitude of infinity. And potential. Uh, can I ask one more? You please. Uh, Dave, where do you think is the biggest gap in our awareness as human beings? Like in terms of like the the total aggregate of like faith. we're innovating on the shoulders of giants faith. as a species. Okay, go ahead. Faith, yeah. faith is the void. So every time you think you have, you know, reached a, a limit or a, a milestone, faith will take you and tell you you have crumbs. You know, that... You know, faith to me is the void, the shortage and the the obstacles because your faith is limited. 
because faith itself should be unlimited and we can't fathom the size, scope and scale of faith. We try our best not to interfere with the enormity of faith, but faith is the currency of all. Faith is the objective energy that we put into the flow of all to get everything we want. Only if you believe to some extent, whatever extent is possible within the construct of your human existence, that there's enough of everything for everyone. But I will tell you, the reason that we can't even understand it is because we're taught from the time we're little, infinity plus one. So the fact that you can't even understand or why you would say infinity plus one, then you don't understand infinity. We can't understand the size, scope, and scale of a trillion universes with zillions and zillions of data points or whatever numbers or constructs. They're still just crumbs. Unlimitlessness is terrifying. And the more that we have faith, the more we can understand the possibilities, the probabilities, and the perspective. All right, boys, I got one more question. Let's rock and roll. Uh, so I was listening to your road to revenue and you talked about how somebody like Jeff Bezos, their imagine or their reality has become greater than your imagination of what was possible for them. Do you anticipate that will happen for you where your reality will become greater than you imagined for yourself? And is that possible? I hope not. I think it's possible. I think it occurs. Uh, I more hope that my reality surpasses so many people's imagination that it inspires them to think bigger like Jeff Bezos has inspired me to think bigger and to realize that stop asking for crumbs. And so I think just understanding in context, you or someone else, where does your reality sit and where does your imagination sit? And then ask yourself, where would infinity take you? Or at least where would plus one from your imagination take you? try to extend, you know, if I want to empower over a billion people, why can't I empower over a billion people or over a zillion people or empower the entire zillions of universes? Why am I limiting myself? Ask yourself, why and how does my reality surpass other people's imagination? And am I challenging myself to expand my own imagination? Because it got to become a possibility before it becomes a probability. And it definitely has to be a probability before it becomes your reality. My boys, I can always thank you for extending and expanding my own imagination by questioning, trusting, and vetting me for everything that I can know and will know, allowing me to download it from a higher source to share with you with great appreciation. And most importantly, when I give it away to you, it allows me to acknowledge what I have, to acquire the knowledge of what I've had. This is a, such a beautiful mutual relationship, me coaching with you. It's the Next Level University, Kevin Palmieri, Alan Lazarus. Thank you so much for always joining me. And remember, most importantly, my boys, be kind to your future self. And do Yes, good sir. Things. Thank you as always, Dave. We love you. Thank you so much, love Dave. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. All right. That's how coaching's done. For everyone out there, you can always reach out to me, David at dmelter.com. Ebook, audiobook, I'll sign a copy, send it to you, pay for shipping. David at dmelter.com. Remember, be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.